Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and my super sleep-deprived co-host is Katie. I have a toddler. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash so I can go back to bed. It's my bedtime, too. I'm all for that. Last week, we covered Chapter 34 and the corresponding film scenes. Lockhart's dueling club inadvertently comes somewhat in handy in the cemetery, though maybe not in any actually useful way. Voldemort treats the unforgivable curses the same way as the clapper. The only member the murder munchers are missing is a magical Nelson Muntz. The ghosts of Potter's past take a detour through the afterlife to save their son yet again. And, between golden balls of light and vibrating wands spewing thick white substances, my job is 110% easier. During episode 109, Crucion? Crucioff? Our Potter ponderings were, how do you think Wormtail's hand was able to cut through the bindings? And when, if ever, do you think the Hogwarts students learned how to duel? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering, which, for once, does not ignite a fiery rage within my soul. And that, my friend, is a blessing. (laughs) I want to start off by thanking you guys for implanting the image in my brain of Go-Go Gadget Magic Hand. I never even thought about it like that. I was always under the assumption that Voldy gave him a magic hand that did some magic shit. But go-go gadget magic? Oh, y'all, that is priceless. Thank you so much. As far as the dueling is concerned, I'm going to tell you guys, I always thought that Voldy said that little piece of information like, you should know how to duel, my boy. Because Peter told him. I just kind of figured, I mean, this is 100% my assumption because they say nothing about it in the book or the movies, but I always assumed that the first thing Voldy did to Peter was interrogate him about all things Harry, seeing as Red Ass Peter was his best friend's pet and he would know a lot about Harry, I would think. He was there, but that was just me. But, you know, as far as when they would learn dueling in the past, I always thought it might have been like a little extracurricular activity, maybe like something you can do on the side, like book club, yearbook club, little fencing class, like a sport or something. And something probably went wrong. Somebody might have lost a limb or a life knowing dangerous ass Hogwarts and they just had to cut it from the curriculum. Hi, Katie and Ellen. It's the support badger here and also my barky dog. I apologize. So I'm calling to respond to this week's Potter Pondering of how Wormtail cut through the bindings and when or if I think that the Hogwarts students learn how to duel. So I think Wormtail's hand is just disgusting and his nails are long and gross. And that's probably how he cut through the binding. Or he 
learned how to do some sort of wandless magic, one or the other. And as far as when or if Hogwarts students learn how to duel, I don't think that is something that Dumbledore would have wanted them to learn how to duel. But maybe it's kind of like when you learn karate when you're a kid and it's like, oh, I'm going to use karate only for good, so I'll only duel bad people, you know, stuff like that. Maybe it's kind of like that in Dumbledore's eyes, but I would assume that's something you maybe do in your sixth or seventh year, probably your seventh year since it's not something that we ever saw Harry or Hermione do besides the stupid-ass dueling club in the Chamber of Secrets. So probably seventh year, something they do in addition to their newt training stuff that they're doing, probably in Defense Against the Dark Arts, they probably learn how to duel if they decided to go to the newt level of Defense Against the Dark Arts. Because 16, 17, 18, I guess, seems like an appropriate time to learn how to defend yourself. But yeah, so key takeaways, Wormtail growth. And that's probably how he cut the bindings with his nasty-ass nails. And, yeah, dueling probably is 17, 18, seventh year, since we don't see it in any of the other books. So, yeah, that's all I have to say. So, you guys, I look forward to this week's episode. Bye. Hello, hello, hello. This is Jackson. So, my follow-up wonderings for this week... How do I think Wormtail's silver hand cut through those bindings? I honestly think, well, as per how exactly he did it, I I think he just sort of grabbed the, at the ropes and through magic, it just sort of sliced through. And as per why it did it, I think the simplest thing to say is from the title of the first episode, bam, magic. <laughs> Now, as for when students are taught to duel, that is a bit of a mystery. Judging by the fact that it wasn't really brought up at Hogwarts until both Harry's midnight duel that was supposed to happen with Draco and the dueling club, maybe they're not taught how to duel at Hogwarts. Maybe they're taught by their parents. That's something I think... um, or it could be not taught until somewhere like fourth or fifth year. Well, it's nearly the end of fourth year when this happens, so I guess not fourth, but maybe fifth year. All right, thanks, guys. Catch ya. Thank you so much for your responses by phone and online. Our trivia question last week was, where does Moody say he's taking Harry after he gets back from the graveyard? Moody tells Harry that he's taking him to the hospital wing, but then the lying liar actually takes him to his office instead. Congratulations goes to Dave Garza. Woohoo! Dave is sweeping in with his first win in quite a while, but Jackson said that he can't even be mad about it. He was too distracted by his absolutely adorable new puppy to answer the trivia question last week. I mean, that's kind of understandable. Right? She's so cute, too. It's a really cute puppy. He's also sure he will be back this week, but who knows? Maybe Dave will start up his own streak. Hmm? We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 35, Veritaserum, and the corresponding film scenes. 
Chapter Thirty Five Veritaserum Part One. Here he slams into the ground with his face pressed into the grass and his eyes still closed. The breath is knocked out of him and his head is swimming so much that he feels like the ground is swaying beneath him. So he tightens his grip on the two things he's still clutching the Tri Wizard Cup handle and Cedric's body. All around him, he can hear voices, screaming, and footsteps, and then a pair of hands grabs him and turns him over, calling his name. He opens his eyes and sees Dumbledore crouched over him, with shadows of a crowd of people pushing nearer. Harry can also see the stands rising above him and the edge of the maze. He lets go of the cup but clutches to Cedric harder and uses his free hand to grab Dumbledore's wrist as he whispers to the old wizard that Voldemort is back. Cornelius Fudge arrives and asks what happened, and realizes that Cedric Diggory is dead, whispering it aloud to Dumbledore. The crowd behind him hears and echoes the news, causing others to shout it into the night. Fudge tells Harry to let go of Cedric, but Harry won't, and Dumbledore leans in to tell him that he can't help him now and to let go. Harry mutters about how he wanted to bring him back to his parents, and Dumbledore again tells him to let go and then lifts him from the ground to his feet. His injured leg won't support him, and he sways as the crowd continues jostling and wondering what happened. Fudge insists that Harry needs to go to the hospital wing, and someone else says they would take him. Dumbledore starts to say no, but is distracted as Amos Diggory comes running towards them. Dumbledore tells Harry to stay there, but in all of the confusion of screaming girls, Harry is pulled away to the hospital wing by someone, despite Dumbledore wanting him to stay. As they make their way through the crowd and back to the castle, Harry notices nothing but the heavy breathing of the man helping him walk. As they reach the stone steps, he asks Harry what happened. Harry hears a clunking sound as they walk up the steps and realizes that he's with Mad-Eye Moody. He explains that the cup was a port key that took him and Cedric to a graveyard, and Voldemort was there. Moody asks what happened then, and Harry tells him that they killed Cedric and then made a potion to get Voldemort's body back. Moody wants confirmation that the Dark Lord is back, and Harry continues speaking, telling him that the Death Eaters came and then they dueled. Moody is surprised that Harry dueled with the Dark Lord, and Harry tells him how he got away because his wand did something funny, and he saw his mom and dad come out of Voldemort's wand. Moody leads Harry into a room and has him sit down, giving him something to drink to feel better, saying he needs to know exactly what happened. Harry coughs as something peppery goes down his throat, but then Moody's office comes into sharper focus, as does Moody, who Harry notices looks extremely pale. Moody asks Harry if he's sure Voldemort is back and how he did it, and Harry explains that he took stuff from his father's grave, Wormtail, and himself. His head feels a little clearer, and he can still hear the screaming and shouting from the distant Quidditch field. Moody wonders what the Dark Lord took from him, and Harry raises his arm to show the ripped sleeve, informing his professor that it was blood. Moody lets out a low hiss, then asks if Voldemort forgave the Death Eaters, and Harry remembers in a panic that there's a Death Eater at Hogwarts. He tries to get up, but Moody pushes him back down and tells him that he knows who the Death Eater is. Harry wildly guessed that it's Karkaroff, but Moody laughs and informs him that Karkaroff fled the moment he felt the dark mark burn upon his arm. 
He figures he won't get far, though, because the Dark Lord has ways of tracking people down. Harry is surprised to hear that Karkaroff ran and realizes that he wasn't the one to put his name in the goblet. Moody confirms this, then explains that it was he who put his name in. Harry denies this is possible, and Moody assures him that he did, then checks the door to make sure no one is coming and pulls out his wand to point at him. He again asks Harry if Voldemort forgave the Death Eaters who went free, but Harry is too confused to process what is happening and just asks what? Moody repeats his question, wondering if he forgave the scum who never even went to look for him, the cowards who wouldn't brave Azkaban, the worthless bits of filth who cavorted in masks at the Quidditch World Cup, but fled when he fired the dark mark into the sky. Harry is shocked to learn Moody fired the mark and asks what he is talking about. Moody explains to Harry that he told him that the one thing he hates more than anything else is a Death Eater who walked free because they turned their backs on his master when he needed them the most. He wants them to be punished, tortured. He asks Harry to tell him that he hurt them, and an insane smile lights up his face as he asks if he told them that he alone had remained faithful and risked everything to deliver Harry to him. Harry is still in denial about everything, and Moody continues to explain that he put his name in the goblet under the name of a different school, frightened off every person that might prevent him from winning, and nudged Hagrid into showing him the dragons. He helped Harry see how he could beat the dragon, and it wasn't easy to guide him through everything without arousing Dumbledore's suspicion. He also had to contend with Harry's own stupidity, realizing Harry hadn't worked out the egg clue and pointing Cedric in the right direction, knowing he'd pass the information along. He also planted the book Harry needed for the second task in his dormitory early on with Longbottom, but Harry's pride and independence nearly ruined it all, so he had to stage a scenario with Dobby the house elf to get Harry the information. Moody holds his wand pointed at Harry's heart and doesn't notice the foggy shapes moving in the faux glass on the wall. He continues talking, mentioning how lucky it was that Dumbledore took Harry's idiocy in the lake for nobility and marked him high. He also explains that Harry had an easier time in the maze because he was patrolling around it and, being able to see through the hedges, was cursing as many obstacles out of the way for him. He stunned Fleur as she passed and put the imperious curse on Crumb so he would finish Diggory and leave the path to the cup clear. Harry just stares at Moody in disbelief. It makes no sense that Dumbledore's friend, the famous Auror, could have done all these things. The shapes in the faux glass continue to sharpen, and Harry can see that three people are approaching, but Moody is so busy watching Harry that he doesn't notice. Moody tells Harry that the Dark Lord didn't manage to kill him when he so wanted to, and expects that he will be rewarded for doing it for him. He will be honored beyond all other Death Eaters, his dearest, closest supporter, closer than a son. Moody looks completely insane now and Harry knows he has no hope of reaching his wand in time as Moody continues talking about him and the Dark Lord. He says that they have a lot in common, such as disappointing fathers that they were both named after and both having the pleasure of killing them to ensure the continued rise of the Dark Order. Harry can't stop himself from telling Moody that he's mad, which causes him to raise his voice and rant they will see, now that the Dark Lord has returned. He raises his wand about to attack Harry, 
But with a flash of red light, Dumbledore blasts apart the door to Moody's office and stupefies him, sending him flying backward on the office floor. Dumbledore, McGonagall, and Snape are standing in the doorway, and Harry understands for the first time why people say Dumbledore was the only wizard Voldemort feared. A sense of power is radiating off of him as he steps into the office and kicks Moody over onto his back so they can see his face. Professor McGonagall goes straight to Harry and wants to take him to the hospital wing, but Dumbledore insists that he needs to stay to understand what happened so he can accept things and start to recover. Harry is in shock, wondering how it could have been Moody, and Dumbledore quietly explains that Harry has never known Alistair Moody. The real Moody would have never removed him from his sight after what happened, and the moment he took him, he knew and followed. The movie section starts out with Harry's return to Hogwarts with Cedric's body. They hit the ground hard outside of the maze in the middle of the audience, who all begin to cheer before they realize what has happened. Harry begins sobbing as the crowd continues to celebrate, and some people start to get up and move towards the champions. As Mr. Diggory and Mr. Weasley hug, Fleur and Dumbledore both seem to realize that something is wrong. Fleur begins screaming as Dumbledore rushes towards Harry, who initially pushes him away and refuses to let go of Cedric. As Cornelius Fudge asks Dumbledore what happened, the music abruptly stops playing and Harry looks up at his headmaster to tell him that Voldemort is back, that Cedric asked him to bring back his body, and that he couldn't just leave him there. Dumbledore takes Harry's face in his hands and tells him that it's all right. They are both home. Fudge tells McGonagall and Snape to keep everyone in their seats since a boy has just been killed. The crowd gasps and Fudge moves back to Dumbledore to tell him there are too many people and they need to move the body. At this point, Amos Diggory realizes what has happened and begins pushing through the audience with Mr. Weasley at his heels. When Amos makes it through the crowd and sees his son lying dead on the ground, he falls to his knees sobbing about his boy. The camera then focuses on Cho as she also cries, then cuts back to Harry as Mad-Eye Moody is helping him up and pulling him away from everyone else while Dumbledore is distracted comforting the distraught father and the rest of the spectators just watch in somber silence. The camera shows a transitioning shot zooming out from the stadium to the castle, then cuts to Moody opening his office door and steering Harry into it. He closes the door and locks it behind him then guides Harry next to the fire and his large trunk, where he places a stool for him to sit on. Harry sits and Moody asks him if he is all right and if it hurts. Nodding, Harry says it doesn't hurt so much now, but Moody says that he should take a look at it and moves the scrap of Harry's sleeve aside to inspect the cut. Harry begins explaining that the cup was a port key, that someone had bewitched it, but Moody doesn't seem at all interested. Instead, he asks Harry what it was like specifically wanting to know what he was like. Harry is confused and asks who, and Moody whispers, The Dark Lord, and presses into Harry's cut. Harry moans in pain and looks at Moody with uncertainty as he walks away, then turns back and asks what it was like to stand in his presence. Harry says that he doesn't know, it was like he had fallen into one of his dreams. Moody begins to slightly convulse and reaches for his flask, and Harry, who is staring straight off into the distance and doesn't notice Moody's odd behavior, adds on that it was like one of his nightmares. The professor attempts to take a drink out of his empty flask and then rushes through a door to a wooden box, which he opens and rummages through, but finds only empty bottles. 
He steadies himself and asks Harry if there were others in the graveyard, and Harry starts to answer before pausing and pointing out that he never said anything about a graveyard. Moody walks back into the room and Harry turns to look at him as he makes a strange comment about dragons being marvelous creatures. He keeps his back towards Harry as he continues to rummage for something, but turns his head towards him as he asks Harry if he thought that miserable oaf would have led him into the woods if he hadn't suggested it. He begins frantically pulling things out of cabinets as he continues speaking, asking if Harry thought Cedric Diggory would have told him to open the egg underwater if he hadn't told him first. Moody then turns right towards Harry and begins approaching him, asking if he thinks Neville Longbottom could have provided him with Gillyweed if he hadn't given him the book that led him straight to it. He is right up in Harry's face now and does another tongue flick to the corner of his mouth before returning to his rummaging around the office. Harry realizes that it was Moody from the beginning, that he was the one who put his name in the Goblet of Fire and bewitched Crumb. Moody cuts him off to mock him and then informs Harry that he won because he made it so that he was meant to end up in the graveyard, and now the deed is done. He again presses on Harry's cut and smells the blood, saying the blood that runs through these veins now runs in the Dark Lords. He again paces away, and this time Harry gets up and starts slowly backing away too. But then Moody turns and begins stalking towards him, saying, Imagine how he will reward me when he learns that I have once and for all silenced the great Harry Potter. Moody pulls out his wand and points it at Harry, but before he can do anything, Dumbledore's voice shouts, Expelliarmus! The office door is blasted open and the spell hits Moody, knocking him backwards into a wheeled chair, which rolls into the wall. Dumbledore charges and grabs Moody by the neck with his left hand. I think the film captured this half of the chapter fairly well. There are some obvious differences, obvious, <laughs> but overall... Fairly true to the source material. Yeah, it's not until the second half that we start to see more deviations and omissions. Right? It's impressive. We will obviously be talking about that next week, but this week, pretty similar. The book starts out with Harry's return to Hogwarts with Dedrick. As per usual, when Portkey traveling, Harry slams face first into the ground and the breath is knocked out of him. He is overwhelmed with everything that just happened and the magical traveling and is left feeling like the ground is swaying beneath him. So he tightens his grip on the two things he's still clutching, the quad wizard cup handle and Dedrick's body. He keeps his eyes closed but can hear voices, screaming and footsteps leading to a pair of hands grabbing him and turning him over. He opens his eyes to see Dumbledore crouching over him and shadows of the crowd of people trying to get closer. Well, I mean, it's a crowd. They want to know what the hell's going on, so. Understandably. Yeah. Harry can also see the edge of the maze in the stands and he realizes that he definitely made it back. He finally lets go of the cup, but he won't let go of Cedric. He does use that free hand to grab Dumbledore's wrist and he whispers, He's back! Voldemort's back. Very similar to the movie section, really. Which starts out with Harry's return to Hogwarts with Cedric's body. Ding! Ding. <laughs> similar. <laughs> they hit the ground with a thud and the band immediately starts playing a jaunty tune as everyone starts to cheer, thinking that both Harry and Cedric won. It was misleading at first. 
I mean, it's understandable as hell that Harry begins sobbing loudly as everyone continues to celebrate all around him, because that's got to be confusing. Yeah. No oompa bands right now, guys. This is a moment that nobody realizes is a moment. Yeah, and not to mention that adrenaline just tapered off. Oh, yeah. It's gone. This is just meltdown moment. Boy, he's wiped. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, physically, just wiped. And with the band playing their, like, jaunty tune, like, talk about premature celebrations, because that's a little insane. I mean, I know you're excited to finally see someone after how many hours of staring at a hedge. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, I know you're finally excited to see someone, but maybe check the tone of the arrival. You know? Give it a minute. (laughs) Make sure they're both alive, even. Like, that would have been way awkward if they were both dead. Oh, yeah. Plus, a really short ending to this book. But, nevertheless, premature celebrations aside, some of the crowd get up and start to move towards Harry. Mr. Diggory and Mr. Weasley hug, and they're like, we did it, we did it, yay! And that's about to get real awkward real soon. Yup. And the crowd applauds a thrilling end to the third task. But only a few people start to figure out that something is actually wrong. Like, Fleur does what she does best and gives us an excellent impersonation of the first female to die in a horror movie. It's fitting for her role. Right? Exactly. And Dumbledore hauls ass to get to Harry, who pushes him away at first, refusing to let go of Cedric, which, again, red flag number two. I don't know. I think we're also at kind of an understandable point. Still. Yeah. Very true. He has no idea what's going on. Adrenaline has crashed. Mm Mm-hmm. Shit has gone down. The last time he touched that port key, he ended up in a bad place. So what's to think that he wouldn't end up in another bad place? Right. I kind of get it, you know? Like, I feel like he grabbed the port key because he had no other choice. What was the other option? But he didn't really know what was going on once he landed. Yeah. But Dumbledore hauls ass to get to Harry, who pushes him away at first, refusing to let go of Cedric. Understandable. Yeah. Considering what just happened. Lots of shit happened. Yeah. (laughs) That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) But the rest of the crowd catches on, and as the band stops playing and the king of tact, Cornelius Fudge, tries to figure out what's going on. Harry, still just bawling his eyes out, looks right at Dumbledore and tells him that Voldemort is back, and Cedric asks him to bring back his body, telling Dumbledore he couldn't leave him there. And oh dear God, it just kills me. Yeah. It just, that's heart-wrenching, right there. He was just like, he's back. He's back. Voldemort's back. Mm-hmm. Cedric asked me to bring his body back. I couldn't leave him. I couldn't leave him. Not there. Yeah. You know, we make fun of Daniel Radcliffe's acting sometimes, but this killed me. It felt very real. I think you mean you make fun of Daniel Radcliffe's acting sometimes. (laughs) For the record, Daniel Radcliffe makes fun of his acting in this movie sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is a little different from how the book had it, though it's definitely parallel. Mm-hmm. Corny Fudge shows up wondering what's going on, and when he realizes that Cedric Diggory is dead, the moron says it out loud. Right? He's talking to Dumbledore, but the crowd behind him hears too and start echoing the news to the point that people are just shouting it out. 
Well, yeah. I mean, what else do you expect a school of adolescents to do? I mean, honestly, any group of people would react very similarly to hearing that news. Very true. Spill the tea. Mm-hmm. Fudge tells Harry to let go of Cedric, but he won't until Dumbledore gently lets him know that he can't help him now and it's over. Aww. Harry feels the need to give a fairly incoherent explanation about how Cedric asked him to take his body back to his parents. And Dumbledore again tells him to let go and just lifts him up from the ground, <laughs> which is pretty impressive considering how old he is. Right. But so, yeah, it's got that similar... The emotions there, but it's not. I feel like the movie kind of captured it a little bit better. They cranked it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't picture Harry as crying. Yeah. During that. He whispered it. It says that he whispered it. I would think him more in shock from this description. Yeah. And he muttered that Cedric wanted him to bring the body back. Like, that's why I said it was incoherent. It wasn't like a clear sob the way the movie had it. Yeah. But I liked that. So that was fine. Yeah. I'll take that change. Sure. Yeah. Harry's injured leg, which did not exist in the movie. Nope. Caused him to sway. And the crowd is just continuing to go crazy over what could have happened. Because now they know Cedric's dead, but they don't know why or how. Mm -hmm. So it probably went from like raucous cheering to confusion to what the fuck? (laughs) Fudge says that Harry needs to go to the hospital wing and someone who was maybe also Fudge. They didn't specify who said it in the book. But someone says that they'll take him and Dumbledore's just like, no, I want him to stay right here. But he's temporarily distracted when Amos Diggory rushes towards them. So Dumbledore manages to tell Harry to stay put, but he has to go deal with the situation. And in the confusion of everything, despite Dumbledore's request, someone pulls Harry away and tells him he needs to go to the hospital wing. Which was our trivia question. This also pretty much actually happens in the movie, too. So, ding. Kind of. Half ding. Kind of. Eh. Dumbledore grabs Harry's face in an extremely uncomforting way and tells him that it's alright and they are both home. Fudge shouts to keep everyone in their seats, then, with zero chill, completely stage whispers to Snape and McGonagall that a boy has just been killed. And seeing as Harry is very animatedly sobbing, Everyone can guess which boy is dead. Doesn't take a genius. The crowd gasps and Fudge is like, Oh no, everyone knows. I wonder how they found out. We should probably get the dead kid out of here. Awkward. Yeah, so that's kind of similar to the book because it's totally Fudge's fault that everyone figures out what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Because boy's got zero chill. Zero. At this point, Amos Diggory gets his cue to deliver his Oscar performance and pushes past the crowd, with Mr. Weasley hot on his trail. When he makes it through the throng of people, he sees Cedric lying dead on the ground with Harry still sobbing over him. He drops to his knees at his son's head and cries out in one of the most heartbreaking performances in film history, if you ask my opinion. It does not matter how many times I have watched this movie... I never failed to tear up at this part. Like, just watching his face crumble. I know. It kills me. And that feral scream that he does, just, it kills me every time. And it gets worse when you are a parent, trust me. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. We then see Cho looking on and crying as well, while Seamus stands behind her with some of the most distracting face paint ever gracing his face. I get that it kind of shows where they are but 
it just messes with me so much to just see Potter <laughs> in big letters on Seamus's forehead right behind Cho. It messes with me. <laughs> it does not match the mood at this point, yeah. no. Mad-Eye Moody pulls a struggling Harry to his feet and whispers that this isn't where he wants to be right now, while pulling him away from the crowd, who are all too distracted and distraught by the sight of the young man and his grieving father. The book, naturally, has a little more detail included in this part, but it is kind of recap information so I can see why the movie wouldn't have included it. Harry is being half-dragged through the crowd towards the castle and only hears the heavy breathing of the man helping him walk. When they reach the stone steps, he hears the telltale clunking sound and Mad-Eye Moody asks what happened. Harry manages to tell his professor that the cup was a portkey that took him and Cedric to a graveyard and Voldemort was there. Well, there we go. Nice summation. Right. Moody wants to know what happened next, and Harry informs him that Cedric was killed, and Wormtail made a potion to get Voldemort his body back. Hmm. Moody then double-checks that the Dark Lord is in fact back, and Harry continues speaking, telling him that the Death Eaters came, and then they dueled. Again, accurate summation. Right, and we just watched all of this so I can see why the movie didn't feel the need to include Harry telling Moody what happened. Exactly. But the news of the duel surprises Moody, and Harry explains that he only got away because his wand did something funny, which led to him seeing his mom and dad come out of Voldemort's wand. Which, I mean, that would make me kind of wonder, too. Yeah, and it doesn't really phase Moody at all. He just hears this and sits him down in a seat and gives him some pepper-up potion, which causes Harry to cough, but it does help clear up his head. And he realizes that he's sitting in Moody's office and that the professor looks extremely pale for some reason. Yeah, in the movie, Moody brings Harry up to his office too. So, ding. Locks the door behind them. And in hindsight, this should have been considered like a big red flag. But I'm sure Harry probably felt weirdly comforted by the illusion of safety. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's what I'm telling myself at least. Plus, what's more British than being comforted by a fire after a traumatic experience? I mean, I suppose all that's missing is a cup of tea. There is that. Mm -hmm. This is also where the majority of the differences occur, as the book gives us much more detail. Some of it recapping, because Moody again asks Harry if he's sure Voldemort's back and wants to know how he did it. Harry explains that he took stuff from his father's grave, Wormtail, and himself. And Moody's just like, what did the Dark Lord take from you? And Harry's just like, well, here's my ripped arm. <laughs> See the blood? He took blood. Here's my gash. Moody lets out a low hiss, then weirdly wants to know if Voldemort forgave the Death Eaters that showed up. That is an odd question. <laughs> Not if you know why he's asking. Well, yeah. But to Harry. Yeah. Although at this point, this just reminds Harry that there's a Death Eater at Hogwarts. In all of the confusion, he kind of forgot that until now. And he's just like panicking and he's trying to get up and Moody just pushes him back down in the chair. And he's just like, I know who the Death Eater is. <laughs> and Harry's just like, Karkaroff? <laughs> and Moody finds this hilarious. He's just like, dude, Karkaroff ran the moment the dark mark burned on his arm. He's gone. However, Voldy's going to catch up with him. He's got his ways. Karkaroff's as good as dead. That sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but this news surprises Harry, who was apparently pretty sure that Karkaroff had been the one who put his name in the goblet. 
And Moody just completely shatters this notion when he's like, no, I did that. What? And Harry plays a slightly backward game of who me? Could it be? Because it was more like who you? That can't be true. Ah, he's a poet and he didn't know it. (laughs) But Moody assures him that he did. He then checks the door to make sure no one is coming and pulls out his wand and points it right at Harry's face. That's always disturbing. Oh, yeah. Especially with all of the confusion Harry has in this moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Moody is super obsessed with this whole question about whether or not Voldemort forgave the Death Eaters who went free, so he asks it again. And Harry is just having a really rough night, and he's too confused to process what the hell is going on, so he's just like, LOL, what? (laughs) Understandable. Moody reiterates his question for the third time, wondering if he forgave the scum who never even went to look for him, the cowards who wouldn't brave Azkaban, the worthless bits of filth who cavorted in masks at the Quidditch World Cup, but fled when he fired the Dark Mark into the sky. Wait, he fired the Dark Mark? What? Right? The shocks just keep coming for Harry because he's like, you fired the Dark Mark? What? What? Moody reminds Harry that he once told him that the thing he hates more than anything else is a Death Eater who walked free. Though now, we learn that apparently it isn't because he's a badass or Instead, he says it's because they turned their backs on his master when he needed them the most. And this right here is why it's super disappointing that we already know pretty much everything that's going on in the movie. Because the way this line of questioning happens... It's so sus, but you're like, but is it? But is it not? But in the movie, we're just like, oh, yeah, we know who this is. Yeah, it's super disappointing because right now, everybody reading this for the first time is like, what is he going on about? Like, why is Moody saying all of this stuff? Yeah. And we're doing exactly what Harry is doing. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, we're like, well, we know he's not actually Moody. So it is disappointing. I agree. Moody continues speaking, saying he wanted them to be punished, tortured. He basically begs Harry to tell him that he's like, tell me that he hurt them. And then this insane smile lights up his face and he asks if Voldemort told the Death Eaters that he alone had remained faithful and risked everything to deliver Harry to him. Yeah, in the movie, Not Moody takes this moment to check in with Harry and ask him if his arm hurts. And Harry's like... Yeah, no shit, guy. Of course it hurts. I just had my arm sliced up. The hell, you think it felt good? And Moody tells him that he should take a look at it and moves his sleeve to inspect the gash in Harry's arm. Which, ew. Ian, the way he goes about it is super ew, too. Yeah. But this is also when Harry begins explaining that someone had bewitched the cup into a port key. But Moody gives exactly zero shits. He doesn't care. He begins asking super weird questions about his experience and what the Dark Lord is like, all while increasing pressure on Harry's wounded arm. Which is definitely a creeper move. Uh-huh. Like, don't do that. Does this hurt? Let me push on it. And it is sort of similar to him asking questions about Voldemort and everything that happened, but it's just a very condensed version of it. And it focused more on him pressing into the cut than the questions he wanted to ask. Yeah. Harry exclaims in pain and surprise as Moody keeps up with this super sus line of questioning, asking what it was like to stand in his presence. 
Harry, still pretty slow on the uptake, says it was pretty shit. And Voldy is kind of something from his nightmares. Not even kind of. Literally. Yeah. Not wrong. Moody becomes very twitchy and nervous as he pulls out his fun flask. Which is, alas, empty. So he rushes into another room and begins rummaging through a wooden box filled with nothing but empty bottles. He takes a deep breath and continues his exceptionally weird line of questioning by asking if there was anyone else in the graveyard. This understandably freaks Harry out, considering he never mentioned a damn thing about a graveyard. I actually kind of like that aspect of the movie. Mm -hmm. Because even though in the book Harry was like, the cup was a porky, it took us to a graveyard, Voldemort was there, they killed Cedric. Yeah. It was kind of fun, the way that they set this up, that that was what finally clued Harry into the fact that this is totally sus. Took him long enough. He had a rough night. Very true. But in the book, Harry is still sitting in his chair like, LOL, what? (laughs) As Moody continues his bad guy monologue, explaining that he put his name in the goblet under the name of a different school, so Harry would be guaranteed to be chosen. He frightened off every person that might prevent him from winning and nudged Hagrid into showing him the dragons. He also explains that he helped Harry see how he could beat the dragon and humble bragged that it wasn't easy to guide him through everything without arousing Dumbledore's suspicion, especially since he had to contend with Harry's own stupidity. Wow, talk about a backhanded, like, (laughs) it's not even backhanded. Yeah. He specifically points out when he realized Harry hadn't worked out the egg clue, he had to point Cedric in the right direction, knowing that he'd pass the information along for him, because decent people are easy to manipulate. That's not very nice. Does he strike you as nice? (laughs) I'm saying it's not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely nice to say. I don't think it's nice at all. Not entirely wrong. Not at all nice. That sounds better. Yes, go with that. He also planted the book Harry needed for the second task in his dormitory early on by giving it to Longbottom. But since Harry can be way too prideful to ask for help, he never even bothered asking Neville and Moody had to stage the scenario with Dobby the house elf to get Harry the gillyweed. Unless you're watching the movie, in which case there's no Dobby. Hmm. That is accurate. Unfortunately, I would have loved to see Dobby in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Moody is so focused on his monologue that he doesn't see the foggy shapes moving in the faux glass on the wall behind him. He just continues his humble brag villain speech, mentioning that he thought he drowned during the second task and how lucky it was that Dumbledore took Harry's idiocy in the lake for nobility and marked him high for it. Well, if someone takes gillyweed, you have to mark them high, right? I think so, yes. That's how that works. <laughs> We also learn from his exceptionally detailed explanation that he helped Harry have an easier time in the maze because he was patrolling around it and using his magical eye to see through the hedges and cursing as many obstacles out of the way for him. Well, that explains quite a bit. Yes, because Harry was definitely lulled into a false sense of security that he wasn't coming in contact with anything. Mm -hmm. And now we know it's because this super mad Mad-Eye Moody apparently was cursing things out of the way for him. There you go. This also includes stunning Fleur Delacour as she passes by and putting Victor Crumb under the Imperious Curse so he would finish off Diggory. 
even though the movie completely made it look like the maze just changed him. Right. And through all this, Harry is still sitting there like, LOL, what? <laughs> Who, you? This can't be true. <laughs> Surely Dumbledore's friend, the famous R, could never have done these things. This sort of happens in the movie. Sort of, kind of, maybe. A little bit. <laughs> Moody re-enters the room and standing in the doorway takes on an affectation of Hagrid's voice and makes a comment about dragons. He begins rummaging around the room explaining all of the things he did to ensure Harry's continued success in the competition, including tipping off Hagrid about the dragons, suggesting that he show them to Harry. So, hey, ding. We got a ding. He did a thing. <laughs> yes, that is similar. Less detailed, but similar. Yes. Seeming to get more and more desperate, he becomes more frantic in his search while he continues his tirade about helping Cedric with the egg and giving Neville the book that led Harry to the gillyweed. Harry just kind of sits there dumbfounded because really, what else are you going to do in that kind of moment? Even for Harry. LOL, what? <laughs> exactly. Considering this is a dude that you've trusted for the entire year, and now all of a sudden he's acting like a fucking wackadoo. Yeah, not just a wackadoo, a fucking wackadoo. A fucking wackadoo. Moody then gets right up in Harry's personal space, like, completely ignores Harry's bubble, and does one of his signature tongue flicks to the corner of his mouth. Like, back off, guy. I do not want to make out with you. Maybe when you revert back to your normal self, but I'm getting ahead. Yep. Moving on. So he goes back to rummaging. I mean, maybe if he wasn't such a hoarder, he'd be able to find what he wanted. But at this point, something finally clicks in Harry's head, and he realizes that it was actually Moody all along. He put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire and bewitched Crumb in the maze. Even though the whole, the maze changes you thing completely negated that. Yeah, but welcome to the party that everyone figured out an hour ago, Harry. One slight difference here, aside from the lack of details, is the fact that Harry figured it out in the movie, whereas Moody told him in the books. Yeah, he had to legitimately spell it out in the books. Because Harry was just sitting there like, duh. What? Who, you? That can't be true. <laughs> and still completely oblivious to the shapes in the faux glass, even as they sharpen and Harry can see that three people are approaching, Moody just keeps his attention on Harry, telling him that since the Dark Lord didn't manage to kill him when he really, really wanted to, he's gonna do it for him and be honored beyond all other Death Eaters, his dearest, closest supporter, closer than a son. Dude, somebody's got daddy issues. Yeah, I feel like he doesn't know his master very well, if that's what he thinks. No, <laughs> right? But by this point, Moody looks completely insane, and Harry knows that he's shit out of luck when it comes to reaching his own wand in time, so he just has to sit there listening to the crazy talk. Sometimes you just have to. Moody goes on and on, saying that he and the Dark Lord have a lot in common, both with disappointing fathers that they were both named after, and both having the pleasure of killing their fathers in order to ensure the continued rise of the Dark Order. Similar to the movie, when Moody, being the mature adult that he is, mocks Harry and informs him that he only won because he made it so. Because he needed to end up in the graveyard, and now the shit has hit the fan. He then digs his finger into Harry's cut again, and this time doubles down on the weirdness by sniffing the blood. 
Yeah, that was so weird. It really was. He says some extra batshit stuff about the same blood running through the Dark Lord's veins. So, not exactly the same batshit as the book, but we got the same level of batshit, I think. I was gonna say, still pretty batshit. Totally batshit, just different batshit. One is batshit, one is guano. (laughs) They're both (laughs) batshit. He turns away and paces again as Harry slowly gets up and starts backing away because it has just occurred to him that something might be up with this strange fellow. However, Moody turns and advances on him with an insane look in his eye as he daydreams about how he will be rewarded for silencing Harry Potter once and for all. Poor bastard. In the book, it's finally at this point that Harry finds his voice and just blurts out that Moody is mad. No shit. Which really just makes Moody act more mad and go in for the attack. You poke the bowl, guy. Yeah. But before he can do anything, Dumbledore blasts apart the door to Moody's office and stupefies him, sending him flying backwards onto the office floor. Sure. The three figures that Harry saw in the faux glass turn out to be Dumbledore, McGonagall, and Snape, and they're now standing in the doorway. And when Harry senses the power radiating off of his headmaster, he understands for the first time why people say Dumbledore was the only wizard Voldemort feared. And I don't know if I quite got that vibe in the movie. I didn't, at least. It just looked like he came in hot. Yeah, he just did his angry thing. Yeah. His anti-calm thing. Which he's been doing all goddamn movies, so... Right. It wasn't anything new. Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? He said calmly. Exactly. Dumbledore then steps into the office and kicks Moody onto his back so they can see his face. Damn. Prison rules now. Jeez. I really wanted to see it just like this. Yeah. So did I. Professor McGonagall initially wants to take Harry to the hospital wing, but Dumbledore insists that he needs to stay to understand what happened so he can accept things and start to recover. And Dumbledore is fucking wise. Yeah. Because that's going to be the one thing that could actually help with Harry's shock. Mm Mm-hmm. Is getting the story. Yeah. Why did this happen? This is why. It still sucks. But with that understanding, he truly can start to heal. It also gives a level of confidence towards Harry Mm -hmm. that I think he could have used. Yeah. I think he needed that. Being treated like an adult, so he acts more like one, too, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. That's parenting 101 right there. (laughs) Yep. But it also makes sense because, like I said, Harry's in shock. He's still sitting there like, what? Yeah. He has no idea how it could have been Moody, and Dumbledore's just like, this is not Moody. You have never known Alistair Moody. The real Moody would have never removed you from my sight after what happened. And the moment he took you, I knew and followed. And that's where we're stopping the first half of the book chapter, because that is just an epic I knew. Mm-hmm. And I followed. Yep. Like you were never in danger at this moment because I was right there. Similar, yet still slightly different than the movie. As per usual. What? (laughs) Moody pulls out his wand and points it at the young boy. But the sound of trumpets can be heard because the cavalry has arrived. Dumbledore bursts through the door shouting, Expelliarmus! 
and the spell hits Moody dead on and knocks him the fuck back because that's how that spell works in the movies, obviously. Which is so annoying. He could have done stupefy. It really is. so stupid. But Dumbledore grabs Moody by the throat and points his wand at his face. And this is where we're cutting the movie scene. Similar place. Mm -hmm. Going into next week, it's quite a lot different. Yeah. Very little actually lines up and so much is left out. It's about to get a little crazy, y'all. But cutting it here at least made this section line up fairly well. (laughs) Yes, very much so. (laughs) But as there are no new actors at this point, we can go right on to our Potter pondering, which is, what are your thoughts on how the movie handled the first half of this book chapter? There were some subtle differences, some different forms of batshit. What do you think? Let us know. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. We really look forward to reading and hearing them. And this will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Brianna Bueller. She writes, I don't know my wand, but I am a Hufflepuff and my Patronus is a dolphin. My story is similar to Ellen's. My younger brother had a teacher reading it to them in class. Got me and my mom to read it. The rest is history. I think my favorite Harry Potter moment with my brother was when we all went to see the midnight showing of Deathly Hallows Part 1. When Harry saw the Patronus deer, my brother loudly said, Go, Harry, follow the light! And the whole theater cracked up. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Although he was probably just trying to match the reaction I got when we went to the midnight showing of Order of the Phoenix, when I yelled, No, you think? After Fudge said, He's back! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Brianna. Younger brothers totally have their benefit, right? Yes, thank you. And if any of the other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is... What did Barty Crouch do with his father's body after he killed him? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag I'm totally insane, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 35, Veritaserum, and the not really corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. 
I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.